What if all you needed to get better in every way was available at the touch of a hand or the sound of a voice or even a vibration? Let's talk about how that happens, who can do it, and where to find them. I'm John Webster, and this is The Hesitant Healer. Hey listener, John here. Just a couple of quick announcements and some explanations of technicalities that we're doing. One of the things that's going on is that we're experimenting with equipment and microphones and remote locations. So sometimes the sound is not going to be as good as it can possibly be. Bear with us while we work with this and we will get better as time goes on. Secondly, we're recording uh, so many and so many different ones and some of these we think should be two-parters that uh, we've decided to sometimes put them out of order so uh, they will not always be in the order that they're recorded. And then lastly, I am teaching my first dissection class. That's a human dissection class in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada in October, October 5th through October 9th. The place is to be announced. You can find this on advanced-anatomy.com. All the details are there. We're currently taking uh, down payments and vetting people to come. Most of you would be welcome. Uh, at least uh, if you're not a body person, if you're not a body worker and you want to come, it's going to involve an interview because we can't just let anybody in there for obvious reasons. But if you're a, a massage therapist, a yoga person, a Pilates person, any kind of body worker or any kind of ana anatomy geek, this is going to be the thing for you. And we're going to have some uh, special surprises and some things to do in addition to uh, just the cadaver lab. So it should be pretty interesting. So that's all the announcements for today. Please enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to the Hesitant Healer. I'm John Webster. I'm here with my faithful trusty sidekick, Lisa Kay. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I will tell you, it's been sunny in Southern California for about two weeks now, and it's just glorious. And this morning, the sun was shining, and it came up, came up over the mountains. Uh, the weather's perfect. Lisa Kay and I did a yoga class already. We're, we're here Thank you. Shout out to Lisa Vest. That was the perfect way to start the morning. Yeah, it's only like a 45-minute class, and it's like it just gets you breathing, and it gets you up and moving. Um, we're going to dive right into today's episode. This is a, a follow-up on one that we recorded uh, just yesterday in the timeline of Real World. Uh, not sure when we're going to air this one, if we're going to do it back-to-back, -back, just as a, a referential heads up. But today we have in the studio one of my clients that has a very interesting story and a very, very poignant grief story. So we are going to talk to her about her story. And she has, has graciously allowed us to kind of come into her life and hear what's going on. Uh, in the discussions that we've had on the table where she's talked about it and I've talked about it and, and we've... We've gone through the last, it's been almost two years, yeah, mm -hmm. um, the last two years of, of this story. Uh, she eloquently talks about her and openly talks about her, her journey, and it's been um, just inspiring to hear. And we were talking the other day, and it sounded so amazing that I really wanted to get her on here, because I think she has a story to tell that I think you guys will be inspired by. So she's a local here from Redlands, California, and she's got quite the story. And so we're going to welcome into the studio this morning, Liz. Hi. Hi. I'm happy to be here. I'm actually nervous. I already did a meditation this morning to call, try and calm my 
nervous system. Nice. Yeah, I get that. It's weird having all this stuff in front, even though we're having a, a, a casual conversation. Right. There's a lot of equipment in between us, and it's just weird hearing yourself on a uh, on a podcast. Okay, so Liz, uh We'll, we'll tone down the, the joviality. Lisa, is that the right word? Yes. Okay. And uh, and we'll get into the story. Liz, uh, I worked on you regularly for a couple of years, yeah? Yes. And you originally came in for a hip, leg kind of problem. Yeah, I think it started with plantar fasciitis. And you were pretty, you were pretty athletic gal too. Yes, I was at the time doing sports, playing sports still, volleyball, CrossFit. Active life. Active uh, active in your church community, Mormon yes. community, uh, four kids, yes, and a husband, yes. So, and then I didn't see you, which happens a lot sometimes. I'll see clients quite well. I'll make them better, hopefully, usually, and then you don't see them for a while, and it's like they come back in. It's like, how come you didn't come back? They're like, because you made me all better. I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, okay, that happens. So I didn't see her for a while, and then she comes in, and uh, she lays on the table, and she starts to tell me a story of uh, pretty horrific grief. And I had not heard what had happened. Can you tell us a little bit about, or a lot about, what happened? Yes. So, um, before I came into John uh, this last time, I had this, um, impression's not quite the word, but I had this urge for a couple months of go see John, go see John. And... As I was laying on the table, I felt this huge desire to tell him my story because I knew he hadn't known it and I knew he would have something to offer, whether it's words or even just within my body, help it to process. So I came to him in August of 22, but rewind a year and a few months. Um, One day in June of 2021, June 28th, my husband was driving home from work and he, and it was a late evening, and he was not, he worked evening, so he was not responding to my texts of when will you be home, things like that. It's about, it's almost 10 o'clock at this point at night, which has happened. He usually shoots a text to say, I'll be there late. As time goes on, um, I start realizing he's not answering, and I get the kids in bed. Um, at the time, they were 14 down to six years old, and I realized with missed phone calls that something was up. I went and looked on Find My iPhone and found the location of his phone, which then I went to my app, my traffic app, and noticed there was an accident. Mm -hmm. And at the time, still not thinking much, just thought, oh, he's busy. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe he's talking to cops. Maybe he's stuck in traffic. Maybe this, maybe that. Uh, Over the next half hour or so, I text my CHP neighbor, Um, getting worked up at this point because I did look into um, the 911 reports for that specific accident Mm -hmm. and I saw that there were deaths and there was a wrong way driver and there were there was a fire and still not really knowing I even saw video footage from a news helicopter looking down on the wreck and still uh, no indication until about 30 minutes later cops showed up at my house and I watched them from the Find My iPhone drive all the way to my home, which was about 20 minutes. And I knew it was either him. And I'm like, oh, he's coming. So I call and no answer. But it was really the cops bringing his items to my home. And so I knew it was either him or cops. And they told me he died head on collision. 
by a, a wrong way driver who now we know was drunk and uh, he drove three to four miles in the wrong direction in the median and then crossed over and hit my husband out of the hundreds wow. of people he could have hit. So, immediate aftermath is catatonic and you can't feel anything. Yeah. But there's also, uh, I think we talked a little bit about this at the time. I mean, as a mother, mm. you, you got other stuff you got to deal with. Right. Too. Well, even just in telling them that that was the worst moment of my life is telling my children the next morning. Um, but I will say, there was something, and this maybe comes from that mother instinction, there was something the moment I found out he died where I felt, and it, it lasted for, honestly, a month or two, I felt almost very powerful mm -hmm. and very invincible, invincible and very, um, it's almost like my role and who I'm meant to be for these kids and for myself was 100 billion percent defined of what my role for life was going to look like. That mama bear thing is so real. I mean, it, it's kind of become a joke in our society, but that, that instinct that, that I am here to care, give, and this right. is my job. And that's a real, real thing. Yeah. It, it, it was thrust upon you. I, right. I have heard stories that, that, that went opposite. Not, not everybody picks up that ball, but in your case, that's, that's where you went. Well, for a time, it, it got pretty ugly after about a month. I mean, it was ugly to begin with, sure. but it got very dark, very, very dark after a couple months and debilitation came in, brain fog came in. Um, I could barely function as a human altogether. Was this during COVID too? No, not really. Kind of after? It was, my kids went to school six weeks later and that was their first time back at school after a year and a half. Right, right at the very end. Wow. Yeah. And so it, it's an utter nightmare and we're almost at two years and it is still, I would consider an utter nightmare. Oh, absolutely. So in, in that year that I didn't see you, there was a lot of, I mean, you really just got to, Put the pieces together, right? I mean, there's arrangements, and there's there's money, and there's financials, and you got to, you got the the emotional aspects of the kids. You have to, you have to keep walking. What was your grieving process like? Let's say immediately, was there any kind of processing? Well, I remember because I was not very far into grief. I remember thinking. Okay, let's get to the other side. Okay, yeah. let's heal. Yeah. Okay, let's let's do this, you know, not realizing that this is now a lifetime carry versus a let's get over the hump, let's get well to the put. other side. Yeah. Um, and one month after my husband died and we buried him, my brother, 49, died of a heart attack oh and my. healthy brother. And that came out of the blue as well. So it it's, <laughs> I hate to say a little tender mercy that it was kind of close together because mm -hmm. I was already in the depths of hell and that threw me sure. still in it versus maybe say a year later and I'm thrown back into the depths of hell, even though all of it is already. But um, so my grief became pretty complicated. I spent the next month to six months only thinking of my brother. And I'm like, wait, I have a dead husband and I have my kids have a dead dad, but I can't stop grieving my brother. That, that deflection makes sense, though, too. And, yeah. and, and we've talked about before, um, 
traumas can be stacked right and and your brain's going to kind of catalog and and categorize them in order and in this case it was like you said it was a tender mercy it kind of took the right it was a lesser of the two horrible evils and and uh, yet still a loss of right. of the same type of proportion, but in this case, that's that's where you went. It kind of gave you the stamina to continue on at least for that couple of months. Yeah? Right. So, so to answer, I guess your question a little more is literally over the next year before I, be, before I came to see John, I was like heal, 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 and that what that looked like was sitting on the couch and staring and allowing emotions to go through my body. I recognized that through the heartache and pain even with how painful it was, there was a purpose in all of it. There was a purpose in letting it happen. There was a purpose in facing it. And I mean, there's plenty of times I numbed out big time, right? With social media or watching shows, but there is purpose in pain and there is, and it's important to face it or else it just stays in your body. And I knew this only because I had kind of a little six month before my husband died. I had this, interesting kind of preparation not knowing at the time um, of learning to meditate of learning how to feel feelings in my body of learning how to let them roll through my body I spent six months kind of journaling and trying to uh, figure out my body and how this works I had a good friend that was guiding me on that and so it's almost like I was able to clear out all these things I was carrying with regular life before the the massive load of my husband's death was thrown space. on, wow. which was pretty awesome in a way. Looking back in ha- hindsight, that that preparation happened. What uh, kind of outside influences, if any, did you lean on or came in and helped at that time frame, or did you allow? Oh my gosh! Well, in those first, my church community is awesome. And in the first, I mean, I had meals brought to me weekly for at least four months. I had people coming and cleaning my house. I had people mowing my lawn weekly. And I didn't ask for any of it. They would just do it. And um, there was more, too. My brain fog is still existent, so I don't remember all the details. But um, I have such a good support system. And naturally after so many months that kind of dwindles Mm -hmm. which it should I should be able to eventually be on my own feet but because me and my children are so desperate and so broken and so debilitated we were still in need of a lot of a lot of that so physical needs are easy to be taken care of the house the lawn everything the emotional needs is the hard part what about family members Oh, awesome. Everyone's been awesome. His family, my family. Um, well, what's interesting, I have a large family, and we don't all live here in California. So my my two siblings here in California kind of gravitated towards me and my children in helping us with everything, mm-hmm. while my siblings in Utah gravitated to my brother's children because my brother died. So we kind of just divided and conquered and are still doing that like to this day like with family support but i'll say my my sister who lives in town with me with her husband the first i don't know year and a half and even still here and there they came two or three times a week to tuck my children in Mm. and (laughs) with my younger ones my brother-in-law would read us or tell a story to my kids and 
the hardest part is in the beginning, like my kids cried themselves to sleep every night for months. And because there's four of them, I couldn't get to them. Sure. And so I knew some of them were left to their own, like at nights, getting themselves to fall asleep through their tears. And it is the worst. (laughs) So it was so helpful to have them come and when one was telling a story the other was doing my dishes Mm. the other was picking up the other was vacuuming they just came in like a workhorse and because I had kids sleep with me for a year and a half because they were of course they thought I would die they still think I'm going to die what uh, what are the ages you have Currently, they're 16, 14, 10, and 8. So, so rewind two years two ago. Years yeah. ago. Okay. yeah. So each one of those is a bit of a different processing in an age group as oh well, my gosh. Too, which you had to juggle as well, right? <laughs> yes. Right. So figuring out my own grief plus caring for little hearts that are so confused on what just happened to their life. Right. Yeah, well put. So uh, friends, family, come to the rescue. That's what, six months, let's say? Uh, family and close friends were longer. I, I mean... In grief, there's a push-away process where you just only want your intimate people in there. And so, I did some pushing away as well with acquaintances or things like that. So, uh, close friends and family stayed long. Community, probably six-ish months into the year mark, you know. Did you experience, I I always find this important because I experienced it with with my wife's uh, cancer when she went through it. There's a... You say there's a ring of intimacy, but there's it kind of funnels out. Yes, and the two or three rings out, you get like the surface people. Yes. Oh, I know how you feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, they pat you on the back, and oh, that's you know, my dog died. You know, right? Those kind of people. I assume you did not let them in or they're, that's they're gone. A, that's the group that gets pushed out, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I, I really believe those people will try to make you sick. And really, they're trying to make you feel better. Yeah, or connect. They're trying to make themselves feel better yes. by getting close to you. Yeah. Right? They feel bad. They don't know how to feel bad. So they're going to share their don't know how to feel badness with you. Or they're, and I've had to learn that everyone has their worst, worst like as in I need to let other people have their worst pain in their life even though in my mind it's minimal compared to what I'm going through Good it's point. N- it's not fair for me to cuz I can remember my worst worst before I had a dead husband right. you know what I mean it was still my worst worst sure and so I can but there's it's hard and I will say too within the church community and this isn't just church but maybe Christian community there's a lot of um into it what are those words not into windows innuendos or like we're just sayings that people naturally say when surrounding death attitudes yes Yes. and um so everyone's experienced this where people say oh they're in a better place or they're not in pain anymore or they're and all it or even um I don't know. There's so many, honestly. And, uh, absolutely. Right. And there's those are the, the worst. And, right. and there's no meaning behind them. They're yeah. just no. they're just platitudes. Yeah. Right? We're trained over centuries to say these things. And the mm-hmm. intention is to make people feel better. But all it does is tell that person not to trust them with their true feelings and what they're actually experiencing. So, so that's where you just say, I'm doing good. You yeah. know what I mean? Or we're hanging in there. That way you don't have to explain to those people that can't sit with you in the depths of darkness. Mm-hmm. Or they don't deserve to sit with you in the depths of darkness because this is sacred, you know? I got to imagine that this caused a crack in your foundational belief system. Yes. You're going to get a little angry at God. A hundred percent. I've been very angry and that surprised me because 
I've always had a super strong foundation and I still do. But what I've noticed is it hasn't been till my, f- I had, I've always believed in afterlife. Mm-hmm. I've always believed in the resurrection. We'll mm-hmm. see each other again. All these happy ending things. Mm-hmm. I still believe in them, but it's interesting because it wasn't until he died that I had to be like, do I really believe this? Mm-hmm. And kind of one of the things I've leaned onto is I'm going to believe this because the alternative sucks. Not necessarily nice. that, that, oh, I believe this wholeheartedly and I know with, even though I do, mm-hmm. but my, I'm hanging on by a thread because I don't want to deal I, I don't like the thought of him not existing. I don't like the thought of not seeing him again. Absolutely. Right. A uh, big difference between the platitude and the belief system. Right. It, you it, and it, it it forces you to make a decision. Right. And and yes. sometimes that decision goes in an opposite direction or you're going to double down and and find that belief in a with a completely different attitude and pair of glasses, right? That's going to work you through this situation, right? And I, I think you just said that really, really well. I'd rather believe in this than not believe in it right. and, and have nothing, right? Yeah. Well, going to church too, if we're still talking about faith and beliefs, mm-hmm. that for our family was, and I don't know if it currently is, but for well into a year and a half, Mark is was the hardest place to be. Mm. You would think it would bring comfort because you're surrounded by your community. The very people who showed up at your door for months at a time, carrying us and praying for us. Mm -hmm. But when we sit there and listen to people's miracles over the pulpit and we didn't get ours, Mm -hmm. or you see families sitting together and they have a dad, and my kids struggled so bad. One kid wanted to sit in the same pew because that's where we sat with dad. Mm -hmm. The other couldn't stand it because that's where we sat with dad and I want to sit somewhere different like and it was and what do you do with that I I've just uh, we we stayed (laughs) in in the pew and they have to this is something my kids have to learn to carry and face as well even though but it church was hard because of platitudes because of miracles you know and well the whole question of it's not even a question of faith why why him why why not me why 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 the randomness of life this kind of goes into the whole war theory too it's like how does one guy get shot and the other guy doesn't and they both did the same thing or whatever right there's no rhyme or reason to it you know in in alcoholics anonymous you get one day at a time right right and if you're living life uh, to the best of your ability, you're kind of living in the moment and doing one day at a time. Right. It helps take that away, but you go to a place like church, you're going to see it all the time, mm-hmm. right? And it, it just gets thrown in your face, and that makes a lot of sense. Right. Another hard part about showing up at church or showing up at places in general is because we show up, people think we're doing okay. <laughs> or they yeah. feel better about our situation. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because we show, and I'm not saying we're showing up with smiles on our faces, but we're showing up. Mm-hmm. And I and you know it's true. I do believe it takes strength to show up. But I I sometimes I caught myself doing a little self sabotage at one point where because I wanted people to know how hard this is, I was putting on a gloom face. Even, Interesting. Even maybe that day I was okay. Right. And so I was putting on this gloom face and gloom whatever because I needed people to know that this is awful. Mm-hmm. And I've since learned to like, Liz, if you're okay, be okay that day. It's okay for people to see you okay. Um, well, it, it, it's not like you'd been through this before either. Oh, no. So, I mean, you're kind of acting the way you think you should act. Yes. However, 
because that's too hard. Sometimes you start acting the way you think they want you to act. Yes. Just so you don't have to answer the questions. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To all of it. I um I remember I went through some things and I can remember going to church and people would always do this and they always kind of tilted their head mm-hmm. to the side and they go, How are you? <laughs> right? And and you just inside you're just screaming you're like screaming. Yeah, you know. And so I this is what I learned to do, just it was kind of a, a shield. So I would say, yes. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. And I and then I didn't have to say I'm great or everything's yes. awful or you can't believe how much this sucks. Right. You know, it was just thanks for asking. Then they get to feel good about themselves, themselves right? For asking is, you, right? Yes. Which is really all they wanted in the first place. Yes. They don't really care how you are, really. But um, it was kind of that was my um, my platitude. That I was, yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I came up with my own phrases as well to right. just kind of. You know, right. move people along, shuffle, shuffle along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're into about a year here, and yes. uh, and then there was a shift. Yes. So I tore my ACL, my left ACL, years ago, and originally came to John a few times. Um, but then I have a dead husband, and I'm not focusing on my knee. And so my knee was still giving me problems. So I'm like, John will heal me. John will help me. And I knew emotionally too. And so I just, it's interesting. I just needed to tell him my story. And he, that first day, sat there and cried with me for an hour <laughs> because he get, he understands the depths of grief as well. And just to hear how much love and compassion he felt towards me for my situation like I knew I was at the right place and um you know we've had some really good discussions um about grief and about people and the body and everything and so I feel like it was the right timing the right move for me to come here yeah I agree and take me to a new level of healing instead of staring sitting on the couch laying staring at the wall healing I'm now allowing him to move grief in my body, you know, through hands-on. Pri- prior to that, we had just done physical stuff. We'd never really had deep, deep conversations about this at no, all. No, no. W- once you brought that up, and and it, I can feel it in a body, so you can certainly feel how it came in, but once we start talking about it and you start to feel that there are physical attachments oh, yes. to emotional problems. And once we kind of talk through the story, right, we're back to the story. I love the story. The story tells you how you processed that trauma and where it got stuck in the body. And the other thing, and I and I remember talking to you about this and feeling this while I was talking to you about it, it's and we were just talking about the platitudes, this is the kind of thing that nobody wants to sit with you and talk yeah. about mm-hmm. because they feel so bad mm-hmm. or they don't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. So I, I've told the story, I think I told it two episodes ago, you fall in the ditch and people walk by and they want to like, you know, do the do the hand cross and keep walking or change the, you know, fill the potholes, but nobody's gonna jump in the freaking foxhole with you right. and show you how to walk yourself out. And and I, I just found along the way that I'm really good at that. But I also know that it's a it's a dark, lonely place that it's not a thing that you're gonna allow people in. It's that they don't know how to get there mm-hmm. and sit with you anyway. Mm-hmm. So part of what uh, my processing is is when you get on a table and you're ready to do that when you're ready to dump and ready to start letting some of that come out uh, I happen to be really good at feeling the emotional aspects of the trauma that you've held and where it is in the body and and there's a logic to 
in in my head, there's a logic to the processing of how you get there. But you're one of those people that just tells the story really well. So once once you were ready. Really, I'm just a conduit of that emotional space right? because really what I'm doing is when I get to a table with somebody like you that has a story like this, I'm holding neutral space. So I'm coming in, it's a, it's a cranial sacral theory, there's other theories that use this, but I'm coming in as neutral as possible so that your body can facilitate the dumping of the crap mm-hmm. that you've been hanging on to verbally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And and through that processing, you get up and walk out a better a better human right. an hour at a time. I, I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday who was like, Well, what she's a therapist. She's like, Well, what do you do? How do you how do you dump all this stuff? I don't take it. And and that may be a podcast in a in a, at another time. I learned over the course of a long time to be the spiritual like conduit, conduit to yeah. be to be the the loop in the energy not to hold any of it so i'll cry with you but it's your stuff and i'm really clear that this is your stuff i pick the energy up and it causes me to tear up and i can feel it in my heart in my soul but i've also learned to let that go it's not my stuff it's your stuff right i'll, I'll sit here with you in the hole as long as it takes for you to learn how to climb out but but I'm not taking your stuff, right. right? And a lot of us in this in this industry in this business who are kind of playing with this or, or who who are on tables touching people that have gone through or going through grief tend to want to take it and hang on to it. Right. And I, I'm here to tell you, it's my belief that that will make you the therapist sick, right? Because right, it's totally. not it's not your stuff. Hundred percent. Give it back to them, but sit with them while you're helping them process. And if you don't feel comfortable, don't do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Don't work outside of your of your zone. Stay within the confines of what works for you as as a therapist. I've said before, I am not a talk therapist. I'm just really good at understanding this stuff right. and how this works in conjunction with the body because to me it's all one. So we start doing some of this grieving work and you processed, it's been a year, right? Mm-hmm. Of coming to you, what, nine months, eight months? About nine, eight yeah. months. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you started learning some self, you talked about self-sabotage, but then you started doing yeah. some self-healing things. Yeah. Like what? And even before then, I was doing samples. I was going to a friend for Reiki. I was uh, listening to vibrations on my headphone for grief and the heart chakra. Like, mm. I was doing things, right? You were in the zone. But that. But once I came to John, I, I added other things. I started EMDR therapy. Okay, I I think I talked about this in one episode, but EMDR is eye movement desensitization uh, re-imaging, and it works on a series of taps or movements Mm -hmm. or sights or sounds that is bilateral stimulation, Mm -hmm. and the basic principle is that your brain is so occupied doing one thing that you can't emotionally feel another. Yeah, so... And also, it rewires the brain to store that trauma that you're releasing and not to view it quite as trauma and have the physical reactions that that trauma would... Like, for example... The debilitating. The debilitating reactions of, like, when I would think about my kids' horrible faces when when I told them their dad died, I would have a physical reaction every time. Yeah. After EMDR, it's either lessened or gone completely. Wow. You know, it comes here and there, but it's sure. not debilitating me anymore. Right. So I started EMDR. I started um, 
it's hard to remember everything. Mm-hmm. But I, John actually had a medium come in uh, fast forward to December mm-hmm. and I made an appointment and came and just with curiosity and with an open mind. And since that day, December 3rd, I was released through honest through my experience there to um, try and find joy again and try and be me again. And since that day, I have been so much better. So that, that experience, and I'll, I'll name her. Her name's Michelle. We we have uh, we'll have her on a future podcast. We've already recorded it. Michelle was very helpful in uh, processing. Uh, we can talk about it a little bit, I guess, if, yeah. that, if that makes sense for you. But I mean, what about that particular phase helped you? Well, um, mm, I don't know if I want to share this okay. part. Okay, so, that's, okay, that's totally uh, fine. What it was an experience in there from a visitor that I had that was specifically saying, "Go find your joy. All right, go find your happiness." That's so, all we need to hear. But what was interesting though is I don't think it was a mindset shift of, "Oh, I'm going to be happy now." There was literally an atmospheric release of some kind that released wow. me into a new realm of trying of feeling joy and feeling happiness. It was almost like an ancestral release. It was actually really, really interesting. And what was fun about seeing Michelle is I was coming in there with whatever was weighing on me at the time. And there was about, there was multiple things, right? But she touched on all four of them and not intense. She had no idea. Right. Right. And, and it's, and she's, she's just saying what she sees, hears and feels Mm -hmm. where I do the interpretation. Right. But everything could, was interpreted, interpreted, whatever, interpreted to me for what I needed at that time. It it put a lot of the puzzle pieces together to make a clearer picture. Totally. It was, it was a cool experience. Like, um, I didn't feel anything while in the room. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel presences. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel anything. But it was just clarification. Yeah, it's almost like um, you got permission. Yes, to feel joy again. I 100% agree with that. Yeah, right. Right. it was. Um, yeah, there was a release of some kind, mm-hmm. and I think it was physical as right. well. Oh, like, yeah. That's one thing I've learned in all this is there is not one physical symptom that is not emotional. Like if you ah, if nice. you feel something in your body that hurts or pain or anything. Um, and my friend who was training me before my husband, she was trying to get my brain working like this, but I've noticed there is not one thing that is not because of an emotion. So when you can analyze what's happening emotionally and pinpoint it and you can just work it through your brain, sometimes that releases it on its own. So it went from an abject theory to you actually lived it. Oh, absolutely lived it. Three months after Jeremy died, um, I went to the ER thinking I was having a heart attack mm. because grief is stored in the heart. It and is. my heart physically hurt for this. I mean, the pain, I'm trying to think when the pain left, but I still have it here and there. But um, I had flutters like crazy mm-hmm. and I went and nothing happened. There was no emergency. And at that point, I remembered, oh, yeah, Liz, meditate grief. And because I had not been doing any of that. And so I sleep every single night still with headphones on, listening to vibrations for different chakras and different emotions that I'm carrying. 
just like I'm like zzz, like all we, night long. <laughs> we were just talking uh, before we started the podcast. A friend of hers came in yesterday, and I was talking about the liver, and I told the story about uh, brokenhearted blood. Uh, it's worth a, another visit. Is is in a class I heard that the liver processes twenty thousand gallons of blood a day, right? And then he kind of he steps sideways and says, "Oh, by the way, check if you've got somebody that's been through an emotional trauma or something that's been pretty heartbreaky. Think about processing twenty thousand gallons of broken hearted blood through your liver. It's gonna affect your organs." And uh, and she came inside. She heard my podcast say that, and then she said something to you, and you're like, "Oh, well, yeah." Because just what four months ago, five months ago, I had blood work done, and my liver numbers were off. I don't know if they're high or low. I don't know mm-hmm. how what those numbers are supposed to look like, but the doctor was like, "Huh, your liver. We need to check your liver." And then fast forward a couple months, and this is after my visit with Michelle, after coming here more consistently, after uh, a few other things that have helped me jump to a different level of grief, like a kind of a not level as in better, I guess. A healthier, more healthier, awake level. Or maybe I'm carrying it better. I don't know. All of the above. But um, my numbers were back to normal. And it's just kind of interesting comparing when my heart was completely ripped apart, my liver numbers were bad. Couple months, fast forward a couple months where I'm doing okay, my liver numbers are okay. And she's stumped. She's still sending me to liver to a liver specialist. Mm-hmm. She's like, why were they bad to begin with? Mm-hmm. And then I hear about John's podcast and I'm like, well, duh, there I had is. a broken heart. Lisa. Yeah. Still do, but. It, it's a coincidence. It might be. It <laughs> might be. It's a coincidence. Um, so, then came the fateful day where you said, hey, I discovered mushrooms. Yeah, so that was interesting. So I, last October, November, were really heavy and really dark. And I have months like this. Even March was like that what, just last What was month. the month that the original incident happened? June. Okay. So, but it's, my body has mirrored what it did in the first year. Sure. So far, it, through this second Absolutely. year. It has mirrored it. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly. But, um, so it was pretty dark October and November. And come November... I was like, I need antidepressants. I can't do this anymore. I can't carry this load. And I'm not against antidepressants. I was on them before. Still brain foggy. So brain foggy. And so I go to a, what is it, psychiatrist that you have mm-hmm. to see to mm-hmm. get medication. Uh-huh. And she just, you know, she talks to me for like one minute and then writes me a prescription. I go fill it. And that same day, my sister-in-law is in town who had tried some mushrooms mm-hmm. and had done a cycle of it. Microdosing. Microdosing, yes. Okay. Thank you. Um, and it had helped her to even get off her antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And she had been on them for off and on for a few years. Anyway, she was in town and I told her I was about to start antidepressants. She's like... Well, I brought mushrooms if you want to try them. And I was like, give them to me. I'd rather that than the antidepressant. My husband was on antidepressants for 10 years before he died. And What, what was attractive to you about that? Um, from what I understood, um, it healed the brain versus just um, fogged Ma- it, masked, masked the symptoms. It actually had a healing comp- component to it. And that's what... Um, 
that's what drew me, drew me to it. This is not you want to get high. No. This is not you wanting to escape. No. This is not you looking for uh, some kind of nirvana experience where no. you see stars and, no. and kittens floating. <laughs> you, you, this is because, and you did some homework. Yeah. You, you wanted to get better and rewire your brain. Rewire. Which is what they say happens when you start doing this. Yes. So, um, I had... I. I've heard that tripping on the mushrooms is beneficial. Mm-hmm. I still have no desire to do that. Um, but I do, I have seen a complete change with the microdosing. You like to be present in your body, especially being an yes. athlete, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I started taking those in about the two week mark it was also December 3rd was the two week mark of, wow. of, um, microdosing. Mm-hmm. So I think the mushrooms coupled with my visit to Michelle um, with the medium is uh, what really took off the two combined. And then I did the mushrooms for like an eight week cycle. And then I took a break and it ended up being a longer break than anticipated. And then come March, I had not been on the mushrooms and I started sinking low again. Not that I'm scared of the lows. I've been in the lowest of lows. I I know how to face them. I know how to be in them. But it's also not fun to not be able to move your body and not be able to uh, do the daily tasks. So, um, so I started, I, anyway, I started another cycle and I can, and it's again, it's lifting me again. So I'm a firm believer. I don't know how long, if mushrooms truly are re- rewiring your brain, technically you shouldn't have to be on them all the time you, if you your brain's think, rewired, correct. right? right. Yeah. Which some people, um, they're also non-addictive, right. which I like that component versus antidepressants are, Agree. right? Agree, yeah. So um, anyway, so I'm on cycle two and I'm feeling pretty good, you know? And I think it, it allows me to manage my grief. Mm-hmm. It allows me to comfort my children. It allows me to move my body. And all of those are beneficial. So I've loved it. Speaking of, uh, are, did you get back into movement? What are you doing for movement? I just signed up for a eight week challenge, and it's kind of it's not CrossFit, but it's intense workouts. And I'm, it's been almost two years of no activity, maybe even more. So with you, my haven't, ACL you haven't done tear. much in the last six. Eight I've months. walked and yoga for a month or two, and some hiking. But no, there's no. I can have. you can you connect like you used to doing that? Or is um, it more meditative? Well, I'm only what a weekend mm-hmm. of moving my body, and I there's a couple workouts I've cried through the whole thing. Oh, and I know it's in. In fact, last night I was starting to develop a big deep cough, but it was not. A, I'm getting sick cough. It's right. something that's getting loosened up down inside from my, me doing heavy breathing. Good description. And I was like. It makes me almost excited to continue with heavy breathing because I know it's releasing trapped grief in my lungs. Mm. So, uh, uh, okay, here's a question. A, a lot of times, I was discussing this yesterday, a lot of times, especially with this type of death and grief, we for, we believe we're going to forget yes. our, our loved one. And that causes us to kind of not move in a direction. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is you're never going to forget. No, and, it's impossible. And, and so that helps aid in getting rid of some of the stuff you're talking about here, mm-hmm. right? And when you understand that that this is this is a person, I mean, this is father of your kids. This is your yes. husband. This is a person you loved wholeheartedly. You're not going to forget him. There may be parts that you forget, and that's going to be said, but we're not talking about the kind of forgetting that stifles you to the point where you can't move. Yeah. 
and in understanding that this person's always going to be a part of you, you also have a choice in releasing what you want to as opposed to keeping what you need to and want to. Mm -hmm. And in that process, understanding that you can now let go of some of that deep-seated crappy cough, right? right? Um, Can we talk a little bit about your kids? You had some interesting stories about how they were processing here recently, um, uh, which I identified with. Mm -hmm. Go. Yes. So, my older two, well, yeah, actually my oldest completely. She's 16 at the time. Uh, Now that we're almost two years out, she's develop some really good dark humor and i love dark humor yeah (laughs) it's actually it's actually really fun but she stops people in their tracks with Mm -hmm. comments she says and she loves it yeah (laughs) so um my 14 year old there was a t-shirt oh yes so she was at they're all thrifting now right and Mm -hmm. so she's at the goodwill and she finds she's with friends and she finds a shirt that says blessed dad and she's like holds it up to her friends and one friend's like but your dad's dead and everyone's like like the whole store stops and of course she buys it and she wears it weekly and there'll be kids at school and she'll be kids who know her know the um, sarcasm with the shirt kids who don't like if a friend someone who doesn't know is like Mm -hmm. what's your shirt mean she's like my dad's dead (laughs) and they're like (laughs) they're just stumped but um, humor can be a very healing thing yeah, right. really and dark humor I mean yeah. I, I totally get that and I, hers is coming out even more lately like I, she's I, always had it I told it, you she should just get a dead dead club t-shirt yes. she should start one and start selling them online right yeah, yeah. okay so my 14 year old um, he has my husband's old phone number mm. because um, oh. it was time for him to get a phone because I needed access to him. He's sure. only 12 at the time, but you know, my panic of dead people and, mm-hmm. and not being able to reach my husband, the PTSD from that, I needed to be able to reach my kid at right. middle school, especially if he needed me. Right. So we give him a phone and we just transfer his dad's number to him. Mm. So <laughs> uh, he's done this a couple times over the, because not everyone knows that he has this phone number, right? So this, his birthday was last week and there was a a man from church, one of my friends, calls me to wish him a happy birthday. And um, so I tell my son, he called to wish you a happy birthday. He's like, well, why didn't he just text me? I'm like, he must not know you have dad's number because he has the dad's number in his phone as Jeremy, right? Right, right. And so my son's eyes just go bing and he texts this man, this friend of ours says, thank you for telling my son happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) And so he gets a text, a ping on his phone from my husband's name saying that and he calls me and he's stumped. He's like, uh, Liz, uh, uh, I don't know what he said. He almost vomited when the text came through. Oh my goodness. And then, so we finally let in that we're joking and it's all funny and stuff. Right. And right. He tells a dad joke and my oldest daughter, it's all on speaker. She, mm-hmm. He says, you can't tell dad jokes to her. And she goes, I know, because my dad's dead. Oh, like, it's just like, I do that all they the just, time. and you know, we're finding, I don't know, my one son, my sister was telling my one son, you're going to be probably six foot like your dad. And my oldest daughter says, yeah, six foot under. You oh, know what I mean? Like, they, nice. <laughs> they just, they're, and honestly, for me, it's relieving to see them talk like this because right. for so long, it was like, don't go near the topic because right. we're having a good day. Right, right. Don't bring up grief because today's okay. You right. know what I mean? 
My oldest daughter, uh, this is about five, six years ago, uh, I had all my kids over for my birthday. I must have been somewhere around 50. And uh, my oldest daughter gave me a, gave me a great big card. You were going to say that wasn't a few years ago. I was. You can, you can kiss my butt, Lisa I stopped Kay. myself. You can kiss my butt. So my oldest daughter gives me this card, and it's like one of those cards that has pages, and it's like, Dad, you were there for me, and you, you helped me build this, and you did this, and you gave me this, and you did all these things. I'm so grateful for you thank you and then uh my youngest daughter comes in and she picks the card up and we're all just kind of talking and she reads the card and she looks at it and she goes all the way through it and she goes you're an alcoholic you didn't do any of this oh, shit no. and she just threw the card on the ground <laughs> i died i'm Aww. like yay those are my children in a nutshell right there so i get it i, I the the webster part of the family is totally sarcastic that way and it, it makes sense there's a yeah. lot of a lot of healing there grief is. with humor. Right. And the darker the better. Because mm-hmm. it, it brings out that that tabooish right. oh my God, don't talk about it kind yes. of thing, which stifles us and makes us not be able to work or talk through it. Right. So I uh I kinda love that. Yeah. Um so where are you today? Well, that question could literally be asked daily, mm-hmm. you know. Um so today uh, or I should say April, because I can kind of clump the month together. This is April 2023. Yes. Okay. I've been good. Me personally have been good this month, mm-hmm. meaning I'm moving my body again, like looking to work out. I even have some desire to eat healthier. Um, I have gone on a couple trips with friends. I have another trip coming up. Um, my kids are all kind of finding their groove. And, you know, there is, there's a grief saying that I learned that, like, the grief we visualize as a society. We visualize, say, our grief is a massive ball, like mm. a bowling ball. Ooh. We visualize it getting smaller over time. But what happens is our capacity to carry that ball is what changes. It's oh. not the size of the ball. The grief... And the death, that is never, ever leaving my kid's life or my life on a daily basis. We wake up every day and he's still dead. It was not a one-day event. It is a, an event that happens every day. So, we are getting stronger to where we can carry this ball. Other days, we drop the ball, right? Because right. we can't do it. And we're right. on the ground bawling our eyes out or a kid has to miss school because they're exhausted and because of grief and... So I think over time we're just getting stronger, but I I can't discre- you can't just credit it to time right. for strength. I do believe myself and to a degree my kids are doing the work to get stronger. I love that because it's a lot of work. It, it is. is exhausting. It is, and a, another really great thing to remember is we feel like. Uh, the process has to be linear. So oh, right. I did I did step A, so I'm ready to go to yeah, step B. No. And once I get through B, I'm gonna get to C. And and in reality, it is a roller, roller coaster. coaster. And and you get through A and then B and then you're back to A mm-hmm. and then maybe you would go way over here and come back. Um, and the expectation that every little step makes me better is not, not necessary no. not necessarily true. But those lows are necessary too. Oh, I think you have like to like even yesterday my That's life. Yeah. It's, you're you're back in 
into living a daily existence. Yeah. Yes, we are actually close to living a daily existence where you, but with triggers all over the world, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So at any moment we can be thrown for a loop, which is fine. Those loops are necessary. It's necessary. Like my daughter, couldn't go to school yesterday she was crying so are my oldest Mm -hmm. and because she had an incident happen and she's bawling all day and I told her listen this incident maybe isn't the cause of this absolutely it's the buildup you've had and you've needed a release and this is what allowed she she was kind of uh, catatonic probably not the right word but she she didn't process for a long time this one she still kind of isn't she's just started seeing being open to a therapist Mm -hmm. so yeah she's she's shifting things are shifting and that's oh, let it let hallelujah. it come. Let yes. it come, right? I'm right. like so grateful with each shift that comes cuz my only worry it, it never was if I was going to be okay. It Abs- was always absolutely. are my kids going to be okay. You're the mama. Absolutely. Yeah. But in order to do that, you need to get better too. Right? Agreed and that is one reason I do focus a lot on myself because I know they will mirror me as I improve, as I get stronger, so will they. Cause, so, some people yeah. might not because they feel they have to give it all to their kids, but no. I, I'm real big on you can't yes. transmit something you haven't got. No. You have to be healthy, yeah. and you, you're you in the ditch with them showing them how to get right. out, right? That's mm-hmm. your whole purpose and job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I am. Um, I, I worked a lot in uh, in some religious institutions. I had a really great pastor who who said uh, something tragic happens, and our thought process is, "I just want to get back to normal. I yes. just want to get back to normal." And what he said is, "You need to find your new normal yes. because it's never going to be the old normal again." And we and and letting go of old normal is is big well and there's a grieving process in that too exactly the the grief that comes from the death of a husband is only the first the the primary grief the primary blow there are secondary losses a million secondary losses and one is the loss of yourself Mm -hmm. and your old self Mm -hmm. your old life your future life you had planned, your future life for your children, all of it is a loss. And it's like we are literally starting at ground zero with a new identity, um, a new focus, a new direction, but while being paralyzed, but while being broken. Right. So it is confusing. (laughs) But there is hope. Yes. There is future. You can get through this and and you've, learned how to get through it and today you're sharing it with others to to tell other yes. people that that this is a possibility and it comes kind of what you talked about with your with the alcoholism it literally is a day at a time because the future hurts thinking of them not in it and the past hurts because of the memories of him there so you have to start learning to live now mm-hmm. it's a great life hack. it is yeah. it honestly has been that's been a pretty interesting uh, mental shift for me to just focus on the now because it's mm-hmm. all you can control. It is it. There's nothing else you can control. That is a perfect ending to this podcast. I thank you so yes. much. That was fun. Thank for you. sharing oh. this. We we are just touched and honored that you shared your story with thank us. Thank you. Yep. Uh, listener, go out and uh, have a wonderful day. Hug your babies. Hug your people. Love one another, be good humans, and enjoy the rest of the day. Peace out, y'all.